0: Welcome back to our introductory episode as we begin to explore affordable housing and homelessness on the Monterey Peninsula from an academic lens and perspective. My name is Angelo Gonzalez, and you're listening to Miss Radio Podcast. Dr. Avenieri is professor at California State University, Monterey Bay, at Middlebury Institute of International Studies here in Monterey. Dr. Avenieri has a passion for building community partnerships through critical service learning and storytelling. She is also an applied linguist and linguistic anthropologist who has taught courses on homelessness and hunger. She was a pleasure to talk to and listen to while she gave us her perspective. Please enjoy. Welcome back to uh, Miss Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Gonzalez, uh, sitting here with Netta Aveniri, that's how you pronounce it, Mm -hmm. yes? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Ms. Aveniri is an associate professor at uh, Miss here, and also teaches at CSUMB. She is very well accomplished, and she has worked within the community, doing partnerships through critical service learning, and has developed narratives uh, between the academic and the public environment and um, great to have you uh, with us. So um, first off, uh, how's your day going?
1: Pretty good, yeah, it's a nice way to start the day. (laughs) It's beautiful outside and it's nice to talk with you.
0: Excellent, excellent. So um, just a little bit, uh, what can you tell us about a day in the life of a professor Mm -hmm. and what brought you to the subject matter in which you are teaching and researching today?
1: Yeah, yeah. so I would say um, my day is pretty dynamic. It's it's a nice mixture of uh, teaching and doing some writing or research and then having meetings about collaborations with people here at MIS or at CSU Monterey Bay um, or at other institutions. Um, and then a lot of emails usually um, and engaging with students and faculty and staff, so it's usually pretty, pretty engaging, my day to day. And in terms of this, the subject matter that I focus on now, uh, my background is in linguistic anthropology and applied linguistics. And uh, through, over the course of the past, let's say six to seven years, I've been collaborating with a lot of um, colleagues who focus on social justice issues and how language and intercultural matters kind of connect with those. So um, I've been trying really hard to figure out how to uh, do my academic work, but make sure that it's relevant to broader communities. So um, pretty much everything I do at this point has something to do with community engagement in some form. So. Very cool.
0: Alright, so in your own words, Mm -hmm. um, what is homelessness and also from how the academic community would define uh, the parameters and the framework Mm -hmm. of the definitions uh, that you've come across, what constitutes homelessness?
1: Yeah, so I would say um, the first thing is that generally we talk about people experiencing homelessness as opposed to um, calling somebody like a homeless person. Um, So that's a first step is that um, Even if somebody has been experiencing homelessness for many, many years, it's not seen as something that defines them as a human being or as the only you know, defining factor in terms of how we see them. So that's the first thing. Um, And then homelessness has such a huge definition in terms of what it refers to, because you have individuals who might, um, they might live in their car, that's the primary place where they live, or um, they they have, uh, they live in temporary housing, or there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of where they can live next. Um, So it's generally seen as not, Having a permanent place to live, um, or one that over which you have a lot of control. Um, so, if we think of it in this very broad way, then it incorporates, um, you know, children, adults, veterans, you know, all kinds of different groups of people um, that are experiencing kind of the state of homelessness, as opposed to um, seeing them as as only a homeless person. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, and just, I mean, touching on that. Mm-hmm. I'd spoken to a colleague of mine, um, that works like within the school district mm-hmm. and she was describing a program where which the frameworks of the definitions of homelessness mm-hmm. is often misunderstood, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, there's, uh, students mm-hmm. attending, uh, within the school district that are considered homeless. Mm-hmm. And I'm scratching my head like, wait a minute, they're mm-hmm. not, you know, you don't see, uh, folks on the streets who are, you know, students, um, going to elementary school mm-hmm. so uh she was like oh well they might not be living in sustainable you know housing mm-hmm. situation they might be living with their aunt or mm-hmm. their grandmother you know and you know there's more to one room mm-hmm. uh, so that necessarily um, creates a different idea you know mm-hmm. at least in my head well, right. I was like oh wow so that's you know um, they're trying to focus on creating like sustainable uh, housing measures for students, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because, you know, it shows within, you know, their schoolwork and everything and right. how they progress to the students um, throughout their education.
1: Right. Yeah. That it's not always visible, you right. know, it's not always like the canonical version of someone who's experiencing homelessness who you might see on the street, but that there's a lot of sort of uncertainty or temporary, um, temporariness to people's experience in, in terms of their home.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us, when was it the first time that it occurred to you that there was a homelessness situation mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in Monterey?
1: Yeah, so I started working here um, at Miss in 2013. And uh, because I'm an anthropologist by training, I, you know, I just notice things, I observe things, I try to um, get a sense of the scene around me. And so before I even began teaching uh, at CSUMB, focused on hunger and homelessness, which was in 2015, I specifically was noticing in the area that's near Pete's Coffee, um, that there were, and this was before uh, Fieldwork or whatever, with this new um, place that's there now, there were a lot of people experiencing homelessness who would spend a lot of time in that area. Um, there was kind of, the, and then it became this kind of fenced, fenced off area where people couldn't spend time and it's right across from the bus depot. Um, and I was just sort of noticing that there were a lot of people who I thought might be experiencing homelessness. Um, and then I also noticed that there were some signs going up in that area saying, you know, don't don't give money to people experiencing homelessness, you know, kind of where the city, I believe, was um, kind of dictating <laughs> how you should be responding to the homelessness um, issues. So I started just realizing, and then I saw some like meters that say like give money to a charity, you know, don't give them directly to the homeless person you know so I was just starting to notice not only the individuals themselves but also some kind of public policies that were happening uh, or meant to be happening um, in those spaces and so um, I think that was probably those set of things together were when I first realized it personally
0: right Mm -hmm. yeah and you speak on the public policy measures Mm -hmm. in place I don't think I've ever seen that I've lived Mm -hmm. in Texas Mm -hmm. and been to big cities where there's homelessness community yeah and uh I had never seen, you know, like those meters that mm-hmm. you're talking about until mm-hmm. I moved here. So, yeah mm-hmm. uh it's fairly different. It's a, a different environment in which um I hadn't seen that policy approach in other any other area. Sure. Yeah. Um, so do you feel as a member of the academic community and community at large mm-hmm. that uh you could possibly exude influence or have exuded influence or impart any considerable action mm-hmm. towards creating uh, sustainable change within the community, and with specific regards to the homelessness
1: sure, so in general, the way that I approach my academic work is um to build partnerships with individuals who are in the community and with community organizations so um the ways that I have tried to help or um you know serve serve larger communities um I teach this course at c s u monterey bay I've been teaching it for about three and a half years, um, that's focused on hunger and homelessness. So it's a critical service learning course where we partner with about seven to eight community organizations. Um, And it's about 30 undergraduate students who um, work with these organizations, um, including like Safe Place, which works with um, youth experiencing homelessness. Um, We work with the Neighborhood Services Center in Salinas. We work with the Chinatown Learning Center, and Dorothy's Place in in Salinas in Chinatown, so various different organizations that we partner with, um, that my my feeling is that through partnering with organizations that are really experts in this area, that the students are learning more about the root causes of homelessness, Mm -hmm. um, what they can reasonably do, what are the limits of what they can do when engaging with the issue of homelessness, and how I can help facilitate some of those connections and relationship building. And then I also have been working with Dr. Phil Murphy. Um, We've been uh, co-facilitating a partnership with a Gathering for Women, which is a local organization in Monterey that focuses on women experiencing homelessness. So we've been overseeing a research project with students at MISS who are um, interviewing and providing questionnaires just to women experiencing homelessness. And we're expanding it out now to work with other organizations. So my feeling is that through educating students and f- providing educational opportunities for them around issues of hunger and homelessness that um then I can have some kind of an impact even if it's not that I directly have the impact but I'm partnering with organizations that might. Um so those are the main ways that I've that I've seen those um those issues, you know, the ways that I can help in some way. All
0: right. Excellent. Uh, So your particular academic interest is of critical service learning and interculturality, language, and social justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, What kind of connections specifically do you see with this field as it pertains to the partnerships you were talking Mm -hmm. about? Um, uh, I I know I looked into your background. I discovered uh, engaging the other Mm -hmm. in expanded communities of practice and how that as like a direct crossroads between the academic world mm-hmm. and the public world yeah. and the interactions between that. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you speak on that?
1: Sure. Way? Yeah. So, um, so as a linguistic anthropologist and a, an applied linguist, we, on the one hand, are interested in observing individuals and cultures and communities and understanding them on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, if we care about social justice, um, we also recognize that we want change, so there's yeah. kind of this um, odd dilemma, yeah, dilemma in a way, because you, you know, you're trying to describe and be somewhat objective, and on the other hand, realize that you want things to be different. So, so that's so something you want
0: the conclusion, but you gotta—it's a
1: process. Yeah, you gotta move there. So, um, so I try with the different research that I do, and the courses that I teach, and the research projects that I engage in um, to try to have students and myself kind of get into those ethical dilemmas you know so if you see something that you don't like do you say something or do you just observe for a period of time before you try to enact change Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of that is engage what I called in that particular piece engaging the other by thinking about what are the kind of intercultural dispositions what's kind of discourse or language do I need to be using in order to engage communities in a way that's respectful of their perspective, but also perhaps helping them and you shift the ways that you see things. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, for example, I teach a course here at Miss um, that's a service learning course, but it's specifically like training future service learning practitioners in the methodology of service learning. So we will, um, the students will actually engage in service themselves with various different organizations, but also be reflective about how fraught and complex some of those relationships might be. And that's kind of the critical service learning piece of it. It's not simply going out into communities and assuming that because you're there, you're helping, right? Right. (laughs) Um, But thinking about, how, you know, your own identities, your positionality, uh, the people that you're engaging with, how do they view you, you know, so Mm -hmm. thinking really deeply about how to engage ethically, um, as opposed to simply feeling like, well, I wanna be there and I wanna help, so that must be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so in all these different kind of, seemingly perhaps disparate areas around critical service learning and interculturality and language and social justice, at the core of it is um, thinking about how do we ethically engage communities and build um sustainable partnerships over time, and what's the language and intercultural components of doing that effectively
0: yeah i mean you you speak on uh the theory end of it but mm-hmm. like the difficulties i I would imagine is yep. like the practice and the actionable uh you know just moment to moment uh between yourself and the community exactly um what kind of difficulties uh could you tell us mm-hmm. barriers have mm-hmm. you come across uh, with working with folks, and how best do you uh, engage those difficulties? Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for one example, um, something that I have thought about and tried to talk about with my students is, um, I think at first some people may feel that um, home, you know, people experiencing homelessness, for example, um, that all of them want to get out of their of homelessness right that that's maybe an assumption that many of us have that wouldn't you want to live in a home where you're safe et cetera, et cetera. um but that when you actually speak with individuals who are experiencing homelessness some of them feel a real sense of community you know among you know with people who are also experiencing homelessness um and that uh you know it's on the one hand, you think, "Well, I want to be there for them, and if they need something for me i want to do you know I want to help them get out of homelessness, but for some of them it 's not necessarily that they're that they chose to become homeless, but they 're choosing to continue being homeless homeless in some sense because they want to um, you know stay in the communities that they 're in so That kind of disconnect in some ways between like the assumptions that I might hold before I engage with a community, what I recognize and discover when I actually talk with people, and then what do I do about that? You know, um, it, it involves a lot of really critical and deep reflection about where did those assumptions come from? Why didn't I wait to talk with somebody? What would it be like if somebody made all kinds of assumptions about me and then wasn't willing to change how they thought about me? So I I tried to constantly be thinking about those issues and then foster that awareness in my students if when possible. So that's just one one example. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, in my service learning course that I teach here at MISS, we talk a lot about um, some of these dilemmas or difficulties or challenges that I've encountered you know where i thought a partnership was going to go pretty well and then it's not really going very well and i try to engage in some kind of communication and it doesn't always work well um so realizing like what are the course corrections that you need to take um even if you have the best of intentions you know what are you, how do you kind of manage those as they're happening um so that you can be reflective but also respectful of um of other people's you know perspectives
0: mm. and you, you speak on the the informal network that Mm -hmm. you come across with folks that um I I went on a hike this past Mm -hmm. summer for instance and it was it was just me alone it was very uh I built a sense of solitude Mm -hmm. you know and but at the same time I lived on very little um and then next thing you know I came across like other individuals who were on the doing the same hike Mm -hmm. um it was El Camino in in, Mm -hmm. uh, Spain Mm -hmm. and uh before you know it you know i'd see those same individuals like at a cafe mm-hmm. a little bit further down the road and i'd see them i'd be like hey you know mm-hmm. and then we'd want to you know we'd communicate and right. then we'd be like hey which hostel are you staying at mm-hmm. oh me too okay let's let's yeah. walk together you know right and so in, in a weird way i built this informal network mm-hmm. in such a short period of time and but for me it was a comfort right yeah, it, it built like solidarity mm-hmm. you know and it wasn't, like, in a community in one location, but, like, we were we were basically migrants, you know, mm-hmm. for a, a month and a half. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, it made me think about, like, just the overall nature of how we develop our relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly, you know, categorical. Mm-hmm. You know, one could do, like, a network analysis mm-hmm. of folks um, within our community right. uh, to better understand that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so uh, finally... Um, Oh, also, I wanted to touch on, I I, yeah. I brought this up yesterday. I was mm-hmm. at a Café Lumiere, mm-hmm. and I ran into a gentleman who runs a non-profit. Mm-hmm. His name's Brian, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking yes,
1: about? Yes, I do. <laughs> so he
0: had mentioned to me um, this guy named Lloyd Pendleton. I don't know if that rings the a bell. The name
1: does sound familiar.
0: Um, right. So Lloyd was a gentleman who led a program to end homelessness in Utah. Mm-hmm. And it had made national headlines in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um And he announced that this housing initiative had reduced homelessness by 91% Mm -hmm. in a 10-year span. Mm -hmm. Uh, Furthermore, on that, uh, stay tuned, folks. (laughs) Uh, Because that, to me, I I had never heard of this guy until Mm -hmm. now. And so it it brings up uh, valid uh, arguments to... How do you feel as far as like bringing outsiders mm-hmm. uh who might have, you know, an expert opinion mm-hmm. on working out uh solutions mm-hmm. to homelessness in our community?
1: Sure. I mean I I think I try to balance or I I respect those who try to balance um a really deep understanding of local context right. and also um a deep understanding of principles that guide you know a particular issue so how to balance kind of the local and the best practices in a way Um, so you know for me and in terms of my approach to doing research and other projects um, I love working with people from all over who may not know the particulars of a given context to just get a sense of what are are the various approaches or perspectives Um, but balancing that with a really deep understanding of um, what are the particular issues that people in Monterey are, fa- are facing for example. So um, you know California in general in terms of the lack of affordable housing um, you know for various reasons since it's such a, such a nice place to live um, that it's hard for a lot of people to find affordable housing um, and then Monterey in particular where we have This huge range of, um, you know, from Carmel and Pacific Grove all the way, you know, to areas like Salinas or Marina, in terms of the huge range of socioeconomic class that live in these different areas. So that's these are things that are particular to Monterey, um, but they're not so specific unto themselves that nobody in in other places could somehow speak to them. Um, So my understanding is that um, Lloyd Pendleton in Utah. uh, I think the idea was that they were, um, you know, giving housing to those experiencing homelessness as a way to then help them address other kinds of issues like, um, you know, addiction or mental health issues or other things. So the idea was, you know, seems so basic on the one hand, which is give people housing. Right. Um, but Uh. right. And then the other things, you know, they can have, get the support that they need. Um, but on the other hand, getting people, uh, mobilized around an idea like that, and the funding, etc, can be really difficult, so to answer your question i 'm always very open to outside perspectives, but balancing that with, um, with really understanding in depth the particulars of a given context
0: excellent excellent so uh, on uh, piggybacking off of that, um, as we approach a new election cycle, mm-hmm. um, do you see any foreseeable policies worth implementing or considering? Mm-hmm. Um, within the Monterey
1: Peninsula? Yeah, so my understanding, actually, I was reading, I think it must have been in the Monterey County Weekly, there had a huge spread on homelessness and housing initiatives um, that are happening currently uh, in all kinds of different areas within the Monterey Bay Area. Um, so my understanding is there's actually a lot of movement happening, which is nice to see. Um, I know there's been a lot of controversy around um, all of the Fort Ord uh, territory and whether that can be used for affordable housing and for whom and things like that. My understanding is parts of it are used actually for veteran veterans who are experiencing homelessness. But, um, but I feel like, you know, the move to providing affordable housing in general, you know, obviously I'm on board with all of that in terms of what's happening currently. Um, I think also in Salinas, there are particular initiatives happening. I think there was a a meeting in Salinas that was focused on that just a couple of weeks ago um, and then I know also in the Chinatown area of Salinas where uh, the Chinatown Learning Center and Dorothy's Place and other services are provided um, they are actually in the midst of um, building an affordable housing complex right across the street from where a lot of the individuals live on the street. Um, so there's actually a lot of really great work, I think, being done already. Um, so it wouldn't even be something I would think of, but, um, but I obviously support all of those. Um, but one thing in particular, um, that I've heard about, uh, and I've talked with some of the people who've been involved with it, um, are these safe parking programs. Um, so there's been a little bit of movement on them, but not as much as I think there could be, which is those individuals who are living in their cars primarily, that they don't necessarily have pl- places to park overnight um, where they can feel safe, and especially women. Um, so thinking about uh, you know partnering with churches or other organizations to expand that program, because right now it's very, very tiny. Um, so recognizing, like we talked about at the very beginning, expanding the definition of what counts as homelessness mm-hmm. um, to really consider you know, how people are making sense of their lives and what they have money for and what they don't. Um, and then making sure that individuals who are, um, especially vulnerable, um, have places where they can comfortably sleep and feel safe at night. Um, so I think the safe parking program is one example of that. Um, but anything that would be partnering with organizations to help youth or other individuals who are vulnerable or, um, especially marginalized within that community I think would be um policies that would be that I would be behind excellent
0: well you've been a wealth of knowledge (laughs) and I really appreciate you uh, being on this podcast and you're always welcome so thank you thank you so much and thank you for listening and stay tuned as we continue our uh, podcast series affordable housing and homelessness thank you again Thank you again, Professor Aveneri, for your informative words on finding the balance between working and serving in the public and academic environments. I really enjoyed the notion of bringing outside perspective to help solve the issue of homelessness, while also maintaining an in-depth understanding of how we can, as an academic community, approach homelessness with critical knowledge of our local areas by simply reaching out and authentically connecting with those around us via service. In closing, I appreciated the specificity of Dr. Aveneri's expertise on the subject matter as we look to expand the definitions of homelessness to include vulnerable individuals and find ways to help youth, women, and others who are marginalized in our community by partnering with local organizations like United Way and Dorothy's Place and engaging with the homeless, always with love, kindness, and fierce compassion. Please do like and follow our page on Facebook by typing in Miss Radio. You can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Anchor.fm apps, respectively. I look forward to the future contributions on this podcast and allowing for more intellectually stimulating conversation and sustainable change both here in our home wherever there's a necessity to help those around you.